going beyond the headlines, getting to the heart of the story. Calgary Today with Joe McFarland on 770 CHQR. Stupid computer. Not working. Anyways, welcome. Greetings and salutations. My finger's not working on that. Uh... You're listening to Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. We'll reboot the computer and see how things go from there uh, in just a little bit. All right. On to today's show. Yeah, it's election day. Who's Who's been excited about this? Yeah, I think a few people are, are looking forward to finally casting their ballot if they didn't already, if they were among the 700,000 that decided, yeah, I don't need to wait. So it'll be interesting to see how the numbers actually all play out when all is said and done on that front. We're going to talk a little bit about strategy. We're going to go behind the scenes a little bit. Stephen Carter is going to join us in just a little bit. A political strategist known for his work with the Nenshi campaign, also known for his work with the Redford campaign, also known for his work in the Harper campaigns. He's also like, he's got a laundry list of places that he's worked for. And I wanted to get a little bit of insight into what is happening in the respective war rooms. But even beyond that is these are all parties that are expecting to win. So they all have transition teams. They all have these plans of action and how they're going to get going. And one of the things that I would argue is this government, the new to come government, has a lot of work ahead of it. So how does it get its feet under it while also, you know, welcoming new MLAs into the system? So we're going to talk to Stephen about that in just a couple of minutes. We're going to also divvy away from the election for a little bit through the course of the show today as well. We're going to talk... Calgary Transit Bus Route Review. Yes, another one is underway. And this one, actually, the online segment wraps up in a couple of days. We're going to chat with Calgary Transit about what's to come. It's 20 routes that are going to be affected by this. Uh, Chat with Nancy Hicks from Global Newsroom as her podcast, Crime Beat, has dropped a brand new episode. And this one strikes right to the core for rural Albertans from yesteryear. I think 38 years ago, Standard Alberta... Kelly Cook was the young girl's name, and there's still a cloud of mystery surrounding uh, her death. She was found dead out by Twin Lakes, remember, uh, Twin, Twin Lakes? Uh, down by Tabor. So we'll talk to Nancy about that. We're going to start things off talking Stephen Carter strategy next here on Calgary Today. All right, our first guest to open up Calgary today is Stephen Carter, a fairly well-known individual around political circles here in Alberta and beyond, I think. How are you? I'm doing really well. How about yourself? I feel like I haven't talked to you since uh, right around the time of, oh, right, the Olympic talk. We had a nice little discussion off the record that I won't get into, but it was a a fun one. How how many years did that take off of your life? Every campaign takes about a year and a half, two years (laughs) off. I'm, that's why I'm really glad I didn't do anything on this one, right? I, I stayed young. Yeah, that's, stayed young. You're, you're smiling, which is something I'm not used to at, during a political, the <laughs> a political I campaign. The I the first thing I, you've been in the war rooms, you've been on those election dates, wondering. Uh, so I wonder, give our audience a little bit of an insight into what is happening or what you think is happening uh, in each of the different party war rooms going into tonight. Well, I mean, the big thing is it's it's all about getting the vote out. And I think we saw uh, during the advance polls that both parties had, had absolutely committed to getting their people to the polls as early as possible. So we have almost 700,000 people who've already mm-hmm. cast their ballots before we even get to Election Day. So getting the rest of the vote out would be your first uh 
your first priority. And then if you're sitting in Kenny's war room and, and Kenny's uh, apparatus, he's been thinking for quite some time, what does my transition look like? Mm-hmm. And putting together, I mean, he's had a transition team uh, from the beginning. Yeah. He, he, he knows he's, he's putting together the team so he can hit the ground running uh, and get an early swearing in day as, as fast as possible and begin uh, what he was calling the summer of repeal. I'm sure that this is something that, uh, especially from his campaign, is you're looking to you. You've already practiced this, right? Like you, you've you've gone through the the rigor of becoming the leader of the PC party, and then you became leader of the UCP, yeah. and now you're trying to be leader. So the the transition isn't necessarily new in in his regard, anyways. Well, no, and and the apparatus of getting the vote out, of getting the people to the polls, all of those things are are in place. They exist mm-hmm. uh, now. In some cases, perhaps fraudulently, but nonetheless. They still exist, and he has the capacity to to move a lot of people to the polls, uh, especially given that we saw such an, a, a, an amazing age gap difference in this particular election. It didn't matter which poll you looked at. You didn't have to look at one where he was up a lot or up a little. They were all the same, and that the the older you were, the more likely you were right. to vote for, for the UCP, and the younger you were, the more likely you were to vote for the NDP. That puts uh, a harder level on the NDP because the younger generations uh, up until recently weren't voting the same. Millennials tend to vote. It's the uh, it's the ones in the middle that. that oh sure, don't. he looks at me like I'm, I'm the one at responsible. You. You're the problem. I am kind you of part of the problem. problem. We and and Didn't admittedly, I mean, I've said it on social media and I've said it on this show was I didn't vote until this year. And part of it was my own personal belief that, hey, I've got to be as unbiased as possible and can't attach myself, even though I know it's a secret vet, a secret vote vote. I didn't want that hanging over my head. But now this time around, I have that. And I got the feeling at the very least, at least in my circles, this is the first time a lot of people have voted because they felt that strongly either one way or another. Well, friends of mine call this the battle, uh, the clash of the civilizations, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, you were, if you are a UCP supporter, you feel the NDP is just evil. If you're an NDP supporter, well, you mm-hmm. know that the UCP is evil. Well, I've, even je- I've even jested about the idea that uh, after this election, no matter what happens, the world's coming to an end, right? How many times have right. you heard that? Right? Well, and we've been looking for someone to blame. We always look mm. for someone to blame, whether it was the National Energy Program in 1981 or it's uh, Ed Stelmack's Royalty Review in the late 2000s. Uh, you know, whatever it was, we're always looking for someone to blame when we hit a downturn. Mm-hmm. And and what we're not willing to do is blame ourselves for not being ready for the next downturn. Right. Uh, so we had a downturn. It happened to Coral. It began with Prentice. Mm-hmm. You know, we, people tend to forget that. Yeah. Uh, it correlated strongly to not least government. Uh, and, you know, I think it's going to continue on because I, I think that our our world has shifted. Uh, natural gas hasn't bounced back for 10 years. Yeah. It's not going to. Yeah. From a strategy standpoint, that's where your bread and butter was. Look back on this campaign and what sticks out most for you? Two things stick out for me. Uh, and I'll, I'll start... I'll pick on both parties, mm-hmm. uh, and I'm going to ignore the little guys for a while, <laughs> which will get me nothing but negative texts. But um, it's like he knows. Yeah, he's, the, the, he's been down this road before. The NDP didn't tell us any stories about why voting for them was important, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they, they they hit us with all the negatives. They told us all the reasons why the UCP was bad and all the stuff that Kenny has done. And and I. I know Kenny. I'm I'm with them. I I think that that negative is important to get out. But I would have liked to have had it wrapped up in a story of what what the NDP was going to do for us. Right. And and they didn't play that that politic. They didn't 
Uh, tell us. I mean, they gave us a few things. There's going to be, mm. a, you know, Deerfoot Trail is going to change. Blah blah blah. But who remembers mm-hmm. in the in the in the giant flood of negativity? And then the the usage fee have been basically just giving us. Um, Believable lie after believable lie after believable lie. It begins with the idea that the economy will return to normal uh, if they can just get a, a right-wing government in place. And that's just not true. Our uh, oil and gas economy, it doesn't matter where you are, our oil and gas economy is, is shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the United States has shifted from an importer to an exporter. Yeah, we They were our primary market. The world's changed. It just has. Mm-hmm. And we can pretend that it hasn't, but it, it's changed. You can put a pipe in the ground for less than a million bucks, you know, and get and get oil out of it uh, versus putting two and a half billion into a 25 year project in the oil sands. Which would you choose? Right. The, and then the believable lie about the equalization re- referendum. Mm-hmm. Come on. You know, Harper was the guy who put in this this current formula in place. Harper, Stephen. Calgary Southwest. You may remember him. Kind of a big deal. You kind of remember him too. I, I remember him well. Uh, these these are the these are the you know the, that lie. It just it, it makes me a bit crazy. And the carbon tax. Mm-hmm. We're gonna you know bill number one carbon tax repeal. I ask you the day after it's passed, the day after it's signed by the lieutenant governor. We can still get a paying a carbon tax. Yep. Yeah. Still going to be paying a carbon but, tax. But I've also argued on that front that there's a re- there's uh, reason to the madness on that one, right? Is no longer the provinces the bad guy. The the bad guy is actually out in Ottawa, right? Like so that, we'd rather this has send our money to, to Ottawa. Hundred percent. So, I'm not so, saying that so that's the way side, to do it. On one side, we're but, saying, you know what? We'd like to send our money to Ottawa on the carbon tax, mm-hmm. but we don't want to send our money to Ottawa on equalization, like. And I'm with the, you. the problem is that these are they're just believable lies, mm-hmm. right? People go and say, "Well, I, I want you know, I believe that." Ralph Klein started this in the 1990s when he was talking about the equalization payments and how we gave 10 billion dollars to Quebec. Well, okay, show me the check. Yeah, show it to me. I, I, I've written a budget for the Alberta government. I've mm-hmm. been there. I've been in the room. Tell me how. Tell me where the check is. Doesn't come from Alberta. Mm-hmm. We pay the same taxes that a person in Quebec pays. The exact same taxes. And I'll tell you something. If he does an equalization, a referendum on equalization from in the province of Alberta, I'm starting up a, a petition. We're going to do an equalization referendum from the city of Calgary. Because I'm not sending our money to Edmonton for them to redistribute anymore. We're going to keep Ooh. it all in Calgary. Ooh. Because equalization, if it doesn't work for the, if it doesn't work for the uh, country of Canada, it won't work for the province of Alberta either. Keep Calgary money in Calgary. I'll be leading that campaign. There you go. You heard it from the horse's mouth here. Did, did this uh, campaign surprise you in terms of there wasn't that, la- I'll call it the layer of civility, right? Where you knew these two sides hated each other, but nobody tried to go after the, I think the vast majority of Albertans are decent human beings who just want their government to look after them or to help them get out of this recession. And he never really got that out of either of the parties. Well, there's a, every year you go to, I go to political conferences and mm-hmm. every year they say to net, there's a, the, the, the session that ends it is this negative advertising work. Right. And every year we debate whether or not we should go positive or negative. And every year the, the end conclusion is negative works better than positive. And, and it's, it's because if you eat a certain type of berry, you die. Right. If you eat another type of berry, you don't die. <laughs> so we tend to remember the negative more than we do the positive. So 
that's just part of our human nature. We're, we are inclined to respond to negative you know, stimuli better. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame burns, right? Yep. Wow. You know, the world of outpouring, you mm-hmm. know, that's what we pay attention to. We're not paying attention to the positive news stories that happened yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, the Notre Dame burned. How do we have time yeah. to have any other, anything Can't else have that's any other kind of conversation? Out right. There. So that negative piece of information is the one that resonates and sticks with us the most. So as a campaigner, we find ourselves leaning towards that. And, right. and some people have tried to, you know, do politics differently and I won't name the, uh, I won't name the Alberta party off. Oh, damn it. Um, but you, you just can't, Paul, mm-hmm. you know, there, th- this is a, this is something that has evolved through democracy over the last 300 years or, or depending on how far you want to go back. If you yeah. want to go back to Athens, I mean, these things have gone, we, we have honed the craft of democracy. Mm-hmm. We can bemoan that. We can say that this isn't right, but then we as individual voters need to change our behavior because mm-hmm. the, the politicians can't change theirs until we change right. ours. So we've talked a little strategy. We've also talked a little bit of the war room. The question then becomes for Stephen Carter, because you've been part of transition teams, is how difficult is the transition going to be for whatever party comes out victorious at the end of today or tomorrow to get the wheels churning right away? Because I don't know if there's going to be a lot of patience amongst the electorate to sit there and have patience for a new government to learn the ropes, quote unquote, like you normally would. Well, I think this was the actual downfall of the NDP in 2015. They, they uh, had elected you know, themselves and someone called them the accidental government. I, I don't. I think that they just were not a prepared government. Mm. They, they had a lot of people that weren't ready to be a minister of the crown. Um, yeah. Now, I would argue that Every government has some ministers that aren't ready to be ministers of the crown. Mm-hmm. But uh, getting those ministers up to speed and then getting them in, empowered to act. Now, one of the things that's happened is that the, prime, the premiers and the prime ministers have been taking so much control into their offices right. that it almost doesn't matter who the ministers themselves are because the power resides in the premier's office. And I think that Kenny or Notley, because Notley's done that for the last mm-hmm. four years, We'll both continue that. And I think that's a really, that's a cry in shame because that will slow down, that slows down the action. Yeah. Sure, you'll see quick action on Bill 1. Big deal. For sure. Big deal. As, as we already talked about. It's low-hanging fruit. Yeah. Tell me how you're going to fix health care. Mm-hmm. Tell me what you're going to do in education. Tell me how you're going to get the costs under control. Right? Tell me how you're going to increase revenues. Mm-hmm. Right now, we know that Kenny's promised another $7 billion in tax cuts. Okay, great. We've got an eight billion or six billion dollar deficit right now. Add six plus seven, and you wind up with a thirteen billion dollar deficit. Uh, but 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 they they keep saying that it'll be it'll be returned on uh, further investment in the from the oh, private sector. Magic money. Oh, well, I didn't <laughs> expect magic money. Oh, well, if we're talking about magic money, why didn't you tell me, Joe? That we were talking about magic money. I'm just I'm saying what the money. argument that keeps coming back every time I bring yeah, up that point. Yeah. And it's like you're 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 Kansas. pinning your hopes and dreams on something that may or may not we, materialize. We already have the lowest tax structure in in Canada. How much lower does it need to be to draw in the businesses? Because that's just an argument that is below it's just baloney because uh, if 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 lowest taxes were where business is located, there'd be nothing in Toronto. There certainly mm-hmm. wouldn't be anything in Montreal. Vancouver. 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 I mean, Vancouver's tax rates are higher than ours. They're the second lowest in Canada mm-hmm. after Alberta. But 
we're dramatically lower. No one should be putting their businesses in Van- Vancouver. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Get out here to Calgary. <laughs> Lower taxes, if that was what brought businesses to Calgary, we'd already be flooded. We wouldn't have 27% vacancy in our downtown core. Mm-hmm. We would have all of those buildings that we built for the next boom already already filled. Stephen Carter, as always, a pleasure to chat with you, this time actually on the radio. And uh, maybe next well, time you, we'll we'll have to do that you again. You brought me on. Now you're hosting. This is a big deal. <laughs> I know. It's a big deal for things me. Things have changed. It's, it's a lovely world we live in. Thanks for coming in, my friend. Thanks very much. It's Calgary Today on 770 CHQR. A lot of people getting ready to end the work day and head out not only on in their vehicles, but also using transit. And so this next story will likely interest you and is probably already, you've already weighed in, or if you haven't, you might want to because you only have a couple of more days to weigh into what is called the 2019 Calgary Transit Service Review. Now, Transit is hoping to improve the connections in the southwest part of the city to what they say is to develop more effective and efficient bus network systems. So there's 20 routes that they're looking to uh, give a makeover to. And part of it is the whole Max Rapid Transit Network. If you go to engage.calgary.ca slash route review, you can learn a little bit more on that. Right now, Calgary Transit planner Philip Myherkovich joins us now to give us a little bit of an insight into what is being proposed here. Philip, thanks so much for the time today. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, this is something that I think happens every year, but at the same time, there is that sense and question as to what's going to be happening with my transit route. And uh, you guys have the, the service review underway now. You're looking for some engagement from residents. What exactly are you hoping to find out through this? Uh, so, uh, with the introduction of the uh, Max Rapid Transit Service, uh, we uh, really had an opportunity to take a, a thoughtful and comprehensive look at uh, the uh, other bus routes that are surrounding these uh, new lines and to see how we could uh, better connect people to major destinations around the city. Uh, Calgary is a growing place, and uh, people are increasingly looking for uh, work, school, and shopping uh, all around town. And, uh, and how can we uh, improve that for people? And uh, as part of the engagement process, uh, we were proposing a series of changes and uh, looking to, you know, better have a conversation with our customers about uh, how we can meet their needs. I know we could probably sit here and talk line by line about every single route that might be possibly changed here. But uh, give us a bit of an overarching idea as to maybe some of the bigger changes that might be on the horizon, uh, depending on what is said during some of these, uh, these talks and some of these consultations and some of this engagement. Uh, so, I mean, uh, I guess uh, the, the amount of change depends on, on the customer, I suppose, but uh, uh, our, some of our key goals that we're trying to do here is making routes that are going to be a little bit more direct and easier to understand uh, and uh, maybe involving uh, connecting to, uh, to our Mac service or, um, and then just, uh, yeah, to, to have that conversation to, to better understand maybe there are people that might be impacted and how can we uh, minimize that or make adjustments for it. Uh, at this stage, uh, we... we uh, We'll be making adjustments to the plan, and it's important to people provide that feedback for us. Are there any sections of the city that are going to see more changes than others, or is it kind of all across the city depending on on where you are? Uh, so this year's review is uh, actually kind of a, a part two of a comprehensive review we started last year. Uh, so uh, last year we were mostly north and east of the river. This year we're mostly south and west of it. 
Uh, and uh, that's kind of the, the focus area for, for our review today. Does this also take into consideration, given that you said south and west, the thing that comes to my mind right off the bat is southwest BRT. Is there sort of a, a look ahead to uh, eventually being able to fold that into what eventually comes of that? Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the the review is very much a uh, supporting element of it. So the uh, Southwest BRT will uh, be launched uh, later on uh, this year as uh, Max Southwest, uh, and uh, these new routes are intended certainly to uh, help support uh, that project. Talk a little bit about what you're looking for specifically from residents during this consultation and engagement process. Uh, so with with any set of uh, of uh, proposed route changes, uh, you know there will be existing trips that are, that may be impacted, and it's important that we uh, get a better understanding of how it's impacted, uh, and uh, you know what opportunities we have to to help uh, minimize that impact, uh, as well as uh, you know getting people excited about uh, the new things that uh, they can do on the network as well. And so the most important thing is to uh, uh, visit us at, uh, we have an Engage website, uh, engage.calgary.ca slash route review, and uh, to let us know your thoughts. I know going through these processes in the past, there's always a few people that all will be up in arms over a uh, change that is affecting them personally. But uh, overall, through the process, you said this is part two. Now, how did part one go? Um, I, I think we've seen uh, quite a, a lot of positive uh, results from it. Uh, I think we, we made some thoughtful adjustments and improvements to that plan, uh, just as we hope to do this year. Um, and uh, certainly uh, we are seeing customers that uh, are you know, reporting happier and uh, shorter journeys. So, Do you anticipate at all that we're going to see a part three in all of this, a part four? Where, kind of where do you stand in terms of future planning uh, after this uh, latest review? Uh, so these reviews are intended to be uh, supporting of the of the Max network, and so I guess uh, uh, you know we don't have a, a, a dedicated uh, service review in mind. Uh, but I think it is important for us to always be thoughtful and, and uh, considering our services to make sure that they are continuing to deliver the level of service uh, for our customers that they expect. When it comes to this particular review, when will all of the consultations and engagement wrap up? And then when would you expect as a customer to start seeing some of the changes actually take effect? So our, uh, our online feedback will actually close in a couple of days. So it's important that people get in quickly while they can. Uh, and then we're going to take some time to uh, do some follow-up uh, sessions and uh, you know, with uh, some of our stakeholders and review the feedback that we get. Uh, we anticipate that uh, the decisions would be made over the summertime, and then uh, later on in the fall, uh, we would uh, come back and let our customers know uh, what the route changes will actually be. Appreciate that. Again, we'll uh, I'll share the link for that website, that engagement on my Twitter, at Calgary Today. Uh, thank you so much for giving us a little bit of insight and, and thought into uh, what has been uh, a process uh, long in the waiting, I'm sure, for a lot of people as we uh, get closer and closer to max rollout all across the city. No, thank you very much for having me. Philip Myherkovich is a transit planner with Calgary Transit as they, again, the online uh, edition of your getting your input in ends in a couple of days. So if you want to go to engage.calgary.ca slash route review, this is for, and I'll list it real quick here, route modifications 6, 7, 13, 16, 18, 20, 39, 47, 56, Bingo. Uh, 79, 80, 81, 84, 93, 94, 112, 149, 302, 411, and 414. So they're planning a lot. 
And like I said off the top, I think that there's a lot uh, that they do on a constant basis. And this is just part of uh, bringing in, uh, like you mentioned, the Southwest BRT or Max, whatever you're calling it. It's called Max now, the Rapid Transit Network. So uh, more again, engage.calgary.ca slash root review for more there. We're going to turn our attention outside our city limits for this next segment. As we uh, talked yesterday about uh, the fire in Paris, one of the other stories that came up through the course of the day was this evolving situation in Penticton. And we've seen it all play out, but I wanted to bring in our next guest to take us to the beginning and take us to what we know to this point now. Global News Radio reporter Emily Lazatin is now on the line. Emily, thanks for the time. Hi there. Can you hear me clearly? Absolutely, we can. All right, let's dive into uh, when did police first get the call and walk us through the series of events that brought us to today. All right, let's start yesterday morning, what should have been a normal day in Picticton. Um, 10.30, they get a call about a man possibly gunned down in the downtown area outside a home. We learn now through family members, the victim there uh, is a man by the name of uh, Rudy Winter, identified by family members. Uh, we're told he was pruning a bush when he was gunned down. 30 minutes later, just minutes, and I did the drive this morning, just minutes on the south, so that was the north end in downtown. Drive over to the south end of town, I'd say about seven, eight minutes, less than five kilometers. A second scene involving a couple homes there, gruesome scene three people found shot fatally shot um now another half an hour later this is all happening with just i'd say between 10 30 and noon by noon the suspect who's now been charged with four counts of murder his name is uh john Britton. he's 68 years old um he turned himself in by monday afternoon so all happening in a one and a half hour time period all within you know less than five kilometers of each other it's an easy drive and you know downtown penticton was on lockdown people were asked to stay away from the area and it's today that we're learning more about how it all unfolded and the victims Mm, and this is something that has kind of taken the community i think by by surprise by shock i mean what's been the the reaction from residents and and what have they been saying about what has unfolded in their community you know, when I first drove into town last night, I picked up a coffee at Starbucks. They noticed, you know, I was driving a Google's work vehicle. First thing they said to me, or the barista said to me was, what is happening? Do you know why? I mean, the big question is, why did this happen? How did this happen? Um, this morning, um, as, you know, residents in Picton, in the two neighborhoods where the two scenes are, um, I was uh, I was there um, 7.30, Speaking to people, again, why did this happen? Picked up a coffee. I hear people chatting about it. Um, Did you know them? Who are they? This is what we're hearing. Um, And then talking to people really close at one of the scenes where three people um, were found. Um, A mother who lived two blocks away from a house that's believed to be part of the investigation really didn't have any words. Uh, She said that it hadn't really sunk in yet because it happened so close just meters away there were bodies there laying on the ground um so i think the big question is here today and yesterday is, is why and investigators police 
have still not given us that answer, and they're still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, we've heard from sources that have told us through family members that it, it could be, it may be related to a neighbor's dispute, maybe a grudge, but that has not been confirmed um, by police. And I understand, too, the mayor says uh, that the the uh, suspect in the case worked in the city's engineering department for several years, and he was, quote, a gentleman. So where you were there for the, the police update, where are they going now in this investigation? As you mentioned, we have three counts of first-degree murder in this case, one count mm-hmm. of second-degree murder in this case. I mean, there's still a lot of questions, so where where are investigators going now? I think the most important question was, again, go, let's go back to why, right? And... and He's, you know, our RCMP, BCRCMP superintendent, uh, Ted DeJager, told us, well, that's what we're trying to figure out. We're trying to figure out what the motive is. And I think that's what we want to know. I think that's what the public wants to know, and they want to hear it from officials. Um, as to what's going to happen next, uh, the suspect, uh, John Britton, made uh, his first court appearance this morning. Um, I was not there. My colleagues were. I was, again, at the presser. He, it was very quick. Um, he's due back in court May 8th. You know, tomorrow there's going to be a vigil. But going back to what you said about how the uh, the mayor John Vasilaki knew um, the, the the suspect. Uh, he was described as somebody who was a gentleman who wouldn't hurt a fly, um, and he you know he did well at his job. He worked at this you know he worked at the city. He retired due to illness in 2016. We don't know what kind of illness, and it was just confirmed to us about a couple hours ago that he did hold another engineering job part time uh, somewhere in the city with a company. Um, but uh, and then even uh, the mayor saying that he got to know the suspect more or much more after he retired in 2016 because he was involved in politics. He sort of um, supported uh, whether it was an election or um, you know something that was going on in the community. He was always out and about. So that's how he uh, the suspect was described by the mayor. Global News reporter Emily Lazatin joining us on the program to give us the very latest on the situation in Penticton. Uh, Emily, thanks so much for the time and the insight today. Thank you. 38 years ago, a young lady by the name of Kelly Cook disappeared from the tiny community just east of Calgary called Standard. And the mystery remains. What happened to Kelly Cook? Her body was found a few weeks later down by Tabor. And that is the focus of the brand new episode of Crime Beat. You can download it wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And this was a story that actually I've had a vested interest in as being a rural kid, hearing some of the stories. This happened just a couple of years before I was born. But it stuck with a lot of people, a lot of, and when time like that goes on, questions linger, rumors linger. Joining us now to talk about this episode, uh, it's part one of that's called The Backup Babysitter, Kelly Cook. It is Global News reporter Nancy Hicks. Thanks so much for the time as always, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me again. What got you interested in this story? Because this one predates a lot of us. I would love to be able to say that it predates me. Unfortunately, <laughs> it does not. Um, you know, this one goes all the way back to my childhood. So I was five years old. 
And honestly, this is the first crime that I can ever remember hearing about it. And, you know, it happened really not that far from my parents' farm that mm. I grew up on. Um, and it was all that anyone was talking about at the time. So, you know, you're, you're a kid, everybody is panicking, trying to, you know, figure out what's happening with this teenager. And so it stood out in my mind, you know, for years and years until I became a journalist and then I picked up covering it myself. So, you know, this case has had a huge impact on my own life for sure. Mm. Now, let's, for those who don't know, go through some of that background and give us sort of the bare bones of what happened to Kelly Cook. So it's basically the story of a teenage girl. And, you know, I should say that almost any parent can relate to the scenario uh, where this girl disappeared. So you have a teenage girl who gets asked to be a babysitter for somebody in this really, really small community. Like, it's not even big enough to be a town. It's a, it's a village. Um, everybody knows everyone. And one last name really, really stands out um, because it's a very common last name in the community, and that's Christensen. So there's this guy, and he's calling around. He's asking for a babysitter. He ends up calling uh, a girl named Kelly Cook, and asked her to babysit. So, you know, she asked her mom, you know, her mom didn't like her going on a, you know, a school night and she wanted to double check who this guy was. So Kelly goes to school and asks about, you know, this guy, who's this Bill Christensen? Well, everybody knows the last name Christensen. So everybody brushes it off and says, oh yeah, I think he's from Rosebud or I think he's from here. And it was enough to satisfy, you know, he, he must be an okay guy. So she went and that night was picked up. She left her home and uh, walked out to the vehicle. And that was the last time that she was ever seen alive. So um, her abduction sparked massive search parties. So this happened, you know, east of Calgary uh, in Standard, Alberta. So it's just past kind of Strathmore, mm -hmm. that area. Um, sparked massive searches, a huge police presence out there, you know, major crimes from Calgary was called out and this was a huge deal. Like they had air searches, ground searches, and everybody was involved. Like, I can remember my own dad went out and, and volunteered mm -hmm. because it was just, it impacted everyone. And uh, unfortunately, you know, a couple months later, her body was found um, in an irrigation canal at Chin Lakes. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of closer to the Tabor area. So about two and a half hours away from where she disappeared. So this case then moved from an abduction to a homicide. Um, and all they knew was this guy went by this alias, Bill Christensen. So that was the start of what would become, you know, we're at 38 years right now. So um, this is a this is a very interesting case. It's taken a lot of twists and turns along the way. But the one thing that really stands out for me the most is just the impact on this family. Like their family has never been the same. Um, I've really gotten to know the Cook family over the years. They're just, the, you know, the, the kindest, sweetest people, but their hearts have been broken and it doesn't go away. Like just mm -hmm. because, you know, if years go by, it's just, it's really, really difficult for them. Mm -hmm. Very difficult for them. Very difficult for investigators, those in the community as well, who are trying to just get the answers they need. And Still a lot of mystery. Nancy Hicks joining us with uh, a little bit of a preview in what's to come. If you want to download her latest podcast called Crime Beat, the episode uh, all about Kelly Cook and her disappearance and murder. 
And Nancy, one of the questions that comes to mind is here we are 38 years later still talking about it. The mystery and the plot still continues to thicken, doesn't it? And there were some really significant things that happened. Um, and I go through that all in the podcast. I mean, this is an hour-long episode. Mm-hmm. So you think about every story I've ever told up to now has been about two minutes long. So I can get into all the detail that I've always wanted to share about this. And, you know, there was there was a, a call made from a payphone, a scream and a hang-up shortly after Kelly went missing. And it was right, if you map it out, right on the way between Standard and um, where she was, her body was ultimately found. Mm -hmm. So police have always believed that was the killer. You know, there's other things that happened, you know, uh, something that happened at the funeral home. So you'll have to listen to the episode to get the full feel. But what I really was trying to do was a, let you know who Kelly was. Mm-hmm. Um, also get to know this family and why they so desperately want answers. And to just kind of explain the whole case. Because, you know, after that many years, can you imagine? There's so many cases that I cover. And it's hard enough for a family if they have answers. And, you know, nobody ever really feels like they get justice. Well, to not have answers and not have justice is just, you know, it's really, really hard. And... At this point, you know, 38 years after this happened, when you do the math, the the guy is getting up in age. Mm-hmm. So that window to be able to have justice or, or see him, you know, face the justice system is kind of running out. So that's one of the reasons why the family agreed to be a part of this really big project, because this is a series within the podcast. So there will be several episodes. Mm-hmm. And I know uh, in talking to you previous, this is just part one, part two in a couple of weeks. So you're going to want to subscribe uh, to Crime Beat, wherever you get your favorite podcasts, iTunes, Google Podcasts, you name it, it's there. Nancy, thanks for giving us a little bit of insight. We'll probably chat with you in a couple couple of weeks to dive into uh, part two of this. Thank you so much. And I just want to remind people that I have kind of different content on each platform. So if you check out my Instagram page, I do a, a separate story with some added content, with some added, you know, photos that you won't see anywhere else. You know, if you go on to Global News, um, ca slash calgary you'll get a, a different story there facebook same kind of a thing so just check out the different platforms because i'm trying to give people some added content and just uh, encourage people to really share this story to help this family find answers nancy hicks global news reporter and the brains behind crime beat the podcast again you can download wherever you find your favorite podcasts and we'll keep you updated on this story as well it's calgary today on 770 chqr Thank you so much for downloading today's podcast. Do me a huge favor and leave a rating and a comment. And you can always hit me up on Twitter as well. Just follow me at Calgary Today.